Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? I got my period in I don't know. I just, I, I just had like a total three day like meltdown session. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel, I feel well, a little bit better today. I can't imagine it's a mixed bag to be back in Chicago. I mean, I, you know, like you, I'm sure you missed it, and but it's like a whole thing. It's a whole thing, and it hasn't been that long. So it's like I keep saying to Miles. I don't know where I live. Do we live? Where do we? So where do we live? And, you know, we don't know how long we're going to be here because there's zero beds available in any ICU in LA County. So there's no availability for ICU beds. So LA is the epicenter of the disease right now. And um, I'm, I'm not so much worried about coronaviruses if something else happens to us, you know, that's the whole, you know, overwhelmed healthcare system situation. So we're not itching to go back. We were supposed to, we were thinking about going back first. It was the 27th. Then it was of December. And then we're like, no way. And then it was um, post um, school, which is the ninth. So I'm guessing we will be here through January. I bet. Which is. Yeah. Well, I mean, it works out because you have that apartment, right? I do. We have this apartment and um, the woman who owns the apartment is a good friend and she's and her niece was sometimes staying here who's 18, but has another place to stay. So it does work out. It's just, you're right. It's sort of like, where do we live? I don't, what's happening? Mm -hmm. And that's why I brought up, you know, the last time I talked to you about the idea of home, you know, and where home is, where is home, you know, and home is where home is where you are in the moment I think I don't know or it's in a place inside of you I don't know whatever if you want to get all touchy feel so. I always I always really envied people who had that feeling about returning to their home or going home or, or their you know people who maybe like their parents are still married and they still lived in the same house I thought oh that must feel so uh just I don't know peaceful or something um anyway I I I don't really check for it anymore I don't really (laughs) I used to always ask myself like do I feel like I'm going home and at some point the answer was never yes no matter where I went so I just sort of stopped asking yeah 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 I mean the yeah exactly and then just and then just the feeling of um yeah just the stuff that you know you and I have been dealing with in terms of people's behavior and Mm -hmm. and you know to be to be totally transparent like I so for our listener you know if we end up airing this which is fine I think we should yeah it's like dealing with mega disappointment and anger about someone's behavior that you thought was a friend Mm -hmm. and an ally and really questioning Mm -hmm. as a woman is this person an ally? It, it, uh, uh, and and I think, and you and I have talked about this and I wanted to talk about it with you some more. It's like that feeling of you, I am so used to taking people at their word, but mm-hmm. that's not how things work. I, I'm. It's that feeling of, yeah. I didn't understand how things worked. And I think 
the mm-hmm. theater school podcast for me has has brought it all home to like oh the things people say aren't necessarily indicative of what is the truth or what they're actually mm-hmm. feeling mhm yeah and and i think like you know maybe even for myself i feel i need to clarify the podcast is about people who survived theater school meaning that they're alive today and they survived it and they may have survived it and gone on to be a fantastically successful writer director performer costume designer whatever and they may have gotten cut after a semester or term and gone on to do something else but the whole the whole thing about it is the surviving not like I sailed through theater school and now I have a fabulous career because um, you you can find that on like a bunch of other podcasts and it's just not what we're doing here. We're we're talking about what it, I mean, we're, we're doing, I guess the other thing is like, we're doing sort of a lot of things at once. We're talking about how we survived it. We're talking about what it takes to survive this or anything. We're talking about the ways in which people found it difficult to survive their experience. We're talking about the ways in which people continue to find it difficult to, to survive their experiences. And, and again, for full transparency, we have every intention of expanding the reach of this podcast to be, I survived medical school Mm -hmm. and I survived law school because you know, everybody has something. I mean, it ends up being college for a lot of people, but everybody has at least one, if not several epochs of their life that were very, very challenging. In fact, we are in one right now. And when this is over, we can say, I survived coronavirus. Yeah, I survived the pandemic. Right. And I think I think you bring up such a good point about the idea that it is not, we, we are not in the business of of celeb- only celebrating people and uh, uh, organizations and things that did remarkably well. So mm-hmm. that is not. I am not curious really about that. There's like you said. There's a lot of podcasts um, of talking about um, super duper amazing, famous, um, was successful, and how to do that, and and that's great. But I am very interested in the the and I've said it before, you know, the re, the resiliency factor that people are able what, to get through things. And um, I think it's beautiful when people um, are vulnerable and willing to talk about how, you know, shit didn't work out. And, and, mm-hmm. and the podcast is also about how many things can be true at the same time for me. Mm-hmm. So like, we can we because I speak for myself like I wanted to be loved and liked and picked and wanted at at the theater school I wanted that so desperately I did not feel that partially that's because it didn't it that's not the job of other people partially because I was 17 partially because I had a you know a crazy my family didn't set me up for success but a lot of things are true did I did I learn things at the theater school? Of course, and like we talk about that, like we we gained I gained so much from the theater school, but it was also very painful. So all the things are mm-hmm. true, and then yeah, and there's and there's yeah, go ahead. In a way, I feel like we could call it. I survived my desire to be famous. Right. <laughs> you know whether because I, I that is all. I mean, almost without exception. I I I, I would say without exception, but I'm sure there's some exceptions. 
for the most part. We all wanted to be famous, which is really a translation of we all wanted to be loved and appreciated, which is what you just commented on. Um, and, and the need for that or the desire for that, in some cases, the need, like a legitimate need for that is something to, that a person has to contend with. And they may be contending with it, <clears throat> by the way, in uh, rural Alaska with no chance of ever having a career this way. And, but yet they still have this desire. They still have this interest. They still have this passion. So yeah, so we're not here to say like, here's all the most successful people that we that we went to theater. So one time I had this idea that I was going to make a podcast called Fame Adjacent and talk to all the people that, you know, I, I have been around me in my life who have been famous. The problem with that is <laughs> I would be doing to myself the thing that has been that I feel, you know, <laughs> victimized by, which is putting myself next to the thing that's powerful. I mean, I think that's for me, so smart. It, for me, it, it's, it, yeah, fame, I don't actually ever think about fame, but I do think about power. I do think about, and that's all born out of a sense of powerlessness that I have had since since day one of like, you know, and why I'm constantly seeking to control things because I felt so out of control and, and powerless for most of my life. Hey, let me run this by you. Go ahead. Okay. So this is a, why do you always laugh whenever i start because it's gonna be really funny okay go ahead so so obviously in the grand scheme of things this is not important but who who said everything we talked about was going to be important um or anything really (laughs) is going to be important uh how much faith do you put in your beauty products like when you see you know how that brand philosophy has that thing called hope in a jar yes have you ever seen that well that's so brilliant because that's what they all are they're all hope in a jar and you know and so it's like a combination of how it smells and how it feels on your skin and how expensive it is and whether anybody notices or compliments you. But I'm starting to think, aside from just washing my face, I think it's all like a bunch of bullshit. That is so funny that you say that. Because <laughs> everything on my Christmas list, I decided to make a Christmas list this year. I, for who? I don't know. No one asked. <laughs> Santa. <to see> my, <laughs> Santa. No one asked to see my Christmas list. But on my Christmas list, it's all beauty products. <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. Because, uh, okay, so yes, I think that you are absolutely right. And I still am a sucker, but I don't, it's a new thing. So I started noticing a lot of crow's feet around my mouth, right? And some jowl action. So, um, so, so I started researching how to get rid of it. And it, it, I think it is hooey. I, I was just thinking, I wonder if olive oil just putting olive oil all over my face is actually the same thing and less expensive. I, I, I don't know. Buying something else. Yeah. Well, you know, but I'm not suggesting 
that it doesn't do anything. I'm suggesting it's essentially a placebo. Oh. That the act of doing your skincare routine or the act, and look, I, I understand that there's a big difference for some people, maybe even most people, be, they, they look different when they have a full face of makeup than they do when they don't. But I'm just saying, like, it's more about the the creams and the lotions and the right. lotions. Serums, serums. The serums, because half serum. the time I'm trying to use one of these free samples that I get. And it's got a bunch of gibberish on it. It's like some French name with this Korean letter, you know, and, and, and if it's called a serum, I'm like, well, what's a serum for? Is that for the morning, for the night? And if it tells so me to put true. it on twice, is that just because it wants me to use more of it? Oh, or do I really need to? You're smarter than me. I, I didn't go to that next cult level, cult level step, which is, um, do they want you to put on more? To use more. Oh my gosh. Well, I, you know, my grandmother, the Colombian, she just used Noxzema every night. Noxzema, 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 Noxzema. And I mean, she looked all right, but I, 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 yes, I, on my, okay, currently are, there's two things on my Christmas list, Gina. And one of them is this Hannah Cure, which is this crazy face mask that like tightens. Okay. And the other one is this this serum called ritual serum spelled differently. R I T U E L. Look, I don't know. It's developed by a model. I don't know, but, and they're really expensive and they're, but it is, you're right. It's hope in a jar. I am looking for hope in a jar. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I, by the way, I buy all these. I know you buy it for me. (laughs) So it's not like I, I'm above it. I just, (laughs) Sometimes I just, there's so many things in my life that I do that I think this is just like a thing that I'm right. doing. This is just like a ritual or like it has meaning for me, but it's, I think all of the meaning is generated by me. It's not right. really generated by the actual product. Which brings me back to multi-level marketing schemes because that it's like, what? So, so. Uh, most of them are skincare, right? And so what does that say? Like most, of, a lot of them are centered around beauty, right? And, and, and the quote health industry. Um, but is it all garbage? Like, is it, is it all, I mean, I don't know, but people are buying in, you know, obviously. Oh yeah. It's the biggest, I mean, when I found out that that Kylie Jenner made billions of dollars from selling ugly ass lipstick, I was like, wait, what, what's, what's, what did I do wrong? I guess I wasn't born a Kardashian. No, you weren't born a Kardashian in Calabasas or wherever the hell they live. But um, the other thing is my niece wanted to contribute to her GoFundMe to make her a billionaire. And I said, if you contribute to her GoFundMe to put her over the billionaire mark, I will no longer speak to you. Wait, wait, wait. Hold, hold She the had phone. a GoFundMe. GoFundMe to make her the first billionaire teenager, whatever that heck it was. Yes, she had, someone started GoFundMe to put her over the edge. Oh, not, she didn't start it. Somebody started no, it for her. Some crazy teenage girl started it to try to get make her a billion i mean this is what we're dealing with here this is the this is what we're up against this is what we're up against so are you shocked 
that that Mitch McConnell and whoever dickety dick dicks are trying to <laughs> no we've got this we've got this going on Gina wait I I'm sorry I, I have to go back to this GoFundMe okay so did it make money yes did it work yes it put her over the edge but did it go to the girl who made the GoFundMe no it went to Kylie Jenner but how if I wanted to start a GoFundMe <laughs> for someone else for 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 Meryl Streep, <laughs> normally, hopefully, Meryl Streep would say, "You know what? I'm going to pass, and I'm going to donate the money." But I think, and I am not, I am not 100. percent We'd have to do the fact checking on this. I think that it put her over the edge, and I'm not sure she donated. Look, I don't want to get sued by the Kardashians, but all I'm saying is. It was like this fad thing that caught on. Make Kylie Jenner a billionaire. Yeah, but okay, you're missing an essential <laughs> thing. <laughs> you're okay. missing an essential thing that I can't wrap my brain around. Okay. It's probably really obvious to everybody but me. If I wanted to start a fun GoFundMe for Meryl Streep, how on earth would I ever tell Meryl Streep or get the money to her? I'm not going to like go to the white pages and look up Meryl Streep and then be like, Hey, I I'm raising a bunch of cash for you. Could I have your bank account number or what? I mean, I don't know how go GoFundMe works, but right. Right. I so think it's it because going to this girl, I maybe it was, and I kind of hope it was, but, but, it, but I think it went to her company. I think they, they like, I, I don't know. All I know is that it was a huge a, a social movement about, I would say five years ago, maybe four years ago. I don't know. And my niece was like, I'm going to donate. And I was like, oh my God, no, you're not. I, I will lay my body down in this water tower place. We were in the water tower <laughs> place in Chicago shopping. And I said, I will lay down on this floor and not leave in, in, in front of American girl until you promise me you're not going to donate. What has happened? Oh my well, god. Well, we've learned two things here. <laughs> <laughs> At least. Right. Number one, Kylie Jenner is a cult leader. Oh yeah. Yeah. The cult of beauty, the cult of personality, yes. Yes, and yes. The, it could really just be the cult about her lips. Because yeah. it does seem to be kind of all about her lips. It is. It's true. It's true. And additionally, I am now realizing that probably what happened with that GoFundMe is that Kylie Jenner paid somebody to start oh. that. She says, I'll give you 10% of whatever you raise. Because I've read things about those people that they don't like. They don't pay their nannies or they, oh, they stiff right. people out of money. They're the, they're the kind of rich people who get rich because they're real cheap oh, with God. everybody else, not except themselves, you know? It's disgusting. Oh, what are we doing? I mean, I mean, that is, that is, um, see, I, my logic, my logic train stops. I never, I never like <laughs> go the full mile of, oh my gosh, she probably did pay this person as a publicity stunt and to get the money, but like the whole thing. Oh God. See, you really go to the dark, dark, dark side, which I appreciate because I'm sort of like, well, whatever. It's just a bunch of kids having fun. It's kind of, it's kind of jacked up, but like, it's not the worst. And you're and now I'm like, oh, it's the worst thing that's ever happened. <laughs> it's the worst thing. It's the worst thing. And listen, I mean, I, I'm like kind of a big fan of, of 
of adolescent activism, like the K-pop stands and how yes. they were always trolling the um, Donald Trump rallies. Like, I think that stuff is good. If they're just going to be hanging out on their phone all day anyway, I think it's good when they're doing something like that. But it might be just kind of hard for them to know the line because probably the thing that's um, appealing to a kid about doing that, like, let's imagine what was appealing to your niece, being part of it, being part of a group effort. It was like a campaign. She felt she definitely felt as a, a part of something. That's for sure. Which is, which is interesting given the fact that the thing that everybody's always lamenting about screens is how much um, lack of unity it creates, right? And that kids don't know how to have conversations because even when they're together, they're on their phones, blah, blah, blah. So the essential need, though, to have community never changes. No, I think you're right. That's an essential core need of everybody is to have community in some way. And this is their weird warped way of having community. You know, it's it's fascinating that you said that about about being on their phones and wanting community because every time my youngest niece will call, she calls me on um uh instagram video because she doesn't have a cell phone so she has an ipad so she'll call me on instagram video chat or whatever it's called and the whole time we're talking she's playing with the phone doing filters like she's not paying attention to anything i'm saying but she still wants to feel like we're connecting so basically what i'm doing is watching her turn into a unicorn then turn into a cat then have and and it must be serving some need for her because she does it all the time. Well, yes, it's so the, they're figuring out a way to have unity, but the thing that they're doing every time they go on it is feeling seen, being seen. So she probably needs from you to see her and they have so many options for how you can see them. So they, you know, they play with it. They she she with, plays with it for a good hour. I'm like, okay, okay. It's like you're... it's like dress up for the you know the tweens or how old is your youngest? Niece? Uh, eleven. Yeah, so yeah. it's like tween dress up is Snapchat filters, Instagram filters. Very I'm like I'm like, oh yeah, you have an eye in the middle of your forehead. Okay, now you have uh blue hair and a, and we're not we're literally just not talking about anything but she could do that without calling you so there it's it you are really serving a purpose oh well good i like that i mean i really do that's fantastic because um, she would never call you and be like how are you <laughs> right i mean at that age it's kind of no, I mean, she, she might did. say how are you but i feel like like your daughter might oh my t- <laughs> and like how how's it going i i'm telling you my favorite conversation i ever had with her my and i say it all the time but so i call gina i call you and i hear hello and i'm like hello she's like oh my mom's in the shower um i'm playing a game uh she can call you back but uh yeah she i just thought i'd pick up the phone i'm like oh how you doing i'm okay i'm playing a game uh, my mom's in the shower i was like okay and she was like okay well and then there was like this long pause and then click. <laughs> oh man. She's her. been really making me laugh recently. When we found out about the election, she goes, Oh, now Trump won't make us drink Kleenex. 
And I'm like, oh, Clorox. Clorox. You mean Clorox. And then she That's said. That's brilliant. Isn't that funny? Yeah, she's I mean, really And she funny. was so relieved, like, oh, <laughs> we're not going to have to be drinking that Kleenex anywhere. Wait, I have to fight because I sent my mom what the other one was. It's like, um, so oh, she said there's no, there's no school tomorrow because it's Veterinarian's Day. <laughs> Today on the podcast, we've got Amy Farrell, who's an excellent actress. You've seen her most recently on Mank, David Fincher's latest, but she's been in a ton of stuff. And we reminisce about theater school, and she also tells us at the end of the interview about her newest venture with her husband, Leonard Roberts. And that's uh, something you're not going to want to miss, so check it out. And please enjoy our interview with Amy Farrell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I always have to start every uh, one of these by saying, congratulations, you survived theater school. And I think you <laughs> did it so gracefully and beautifully. I, I just was revisiting the theater school uh, website for your about your shows. And uh, Into the Woods, of course, I remember I know every single word of it from, <laughs> from, <laughs> oh my God, bless from heart. listening to it. But also, um, I for- had forgotten about Journey of the Fifth Horse. <gasps> oh, <laughs> oh you, you gave a face like you, that wasn't a great experience for you. No, it was great. It was just like I had like, you know, there's those roles in school and it's it's important where you uh, have uh, like, it's it's like a tiny, I mean, it was a scene. I ended up like just making it this whole crazy thing because I had one little scene, one little role, and I just made her this like quirky ass little made sweeper girl i don't even know what was happening um <laughs> i like i had nothing it was a gorgeous play but i had like nothing to do with it like i had one scene where i came in cleaning <laughs> no, <and> I, had... <laughs> well, I think it's the first uh, time that a joe slowick production has been represented in one of our interviews so i was just curious about your oh. experience working with him you know um i re- the thing i remember about it because like i said i only had that it was like one of those tiny things but i remember how excited he would get about like loving this shit like one day he literally like got up because he was like old as the day was long when I was there and one day he got up in rehearsal it wasn't even my scene and he like got up and he like like made these fists and was like I I just I just love this and he like kicked the air like he just like he was so excited he like kicked the air and I that's the moment I remember I was like oh that's so great I want to be like Oh, that's adorable. Kick the air. That's my favorite. I kick. There is a major uh, error on the theater school website in which uh, the, what, what purports to be the link to Snow White and Rose Red, which I had also forgotten about, Uh uh, shows pictures from the miracle worker. So I don't know, maybe they just never (laughs) got, maybe they lost the pictures from Snow White and Rose Red, but uh, were you Snow White? No, I was the mother. Oh yes, yes, no. In fact, it was so funny because I Tamara, Tamara, yes, Marshall, yeah. Tamara, Tamara was my daughter, and she was an MFA. So like, I was like, you know, tiny and she or young, and she was she was more mature, but she was my daughter. Um, the they, magic I, of the theater school, the magic right? of the theater. Yeah, it is. I remember I had a, an atrocious wig. I mean, it was right for the role, but like, it was like this like dishwater blonde, and I'm a they kids i'm a brunette and like it was not not cute but that's all right um i remember i auditioned for that and there was um one of my still good friends tracy downs got the role but there was a um 
like I think she was an angel or something, and you got to fly the foy fly thing, and I wanted that just because I just wanted. I was like, I want to fly, fuck. But um, yeah, and I remember in the in the audition we all had to do like this. Um, and Stephen Gray, uh, Susan Lee's oh. uh, husband, he choreographed it yep. and worked on the physical stuff. And I just remember in the audition we had to do that like sort of um, Jennifer Gray dirty dancing thing where we had to like run and like um, be caught to see if you would be able to do foy, like if you'd give in to the. And I just remember being like, "Oh shit, here I go!" But uh... so, did you always know that you wanted to go to theater school? Um, uh, in a way, yes. I so I, I think I had a unique experience in that I uh, was a. Uh, I started acting as a child in the theater in my hometown of Kansas City. Woo, woo, Kansas City. Um, and I did like professional theater there. And um, when I was um, like in the eighth grade, <clears throat> the director I was doing, of course, The Wizard of Oz because we're in Kansas. And uh, <laughs> you have to. And um, the director told my parents, like, if Amy really wants to keep doing this, um, you should look at this um, school of the performing arts, a boarding school, which is Interlochen. And so um, for high school. So I was like, yes, because fame was everything. And I was like, I want to dance on cafeteria tables. Let's do it. And um, my parents were like, oh, I don't know, honey. Like no one in my family is in the arts. I don't know, baby. I don't know. What's, what's, what's this? And um, they, uh, and so I was like, well, can I just apply and see? Because, and they were, God love, my parents totally believed in me, but they're like, oh, sure. Let her apply. She's not going to get in because it also has like really high academic stuff and stuff so I got in and they were like oh dear and they're like well um sweetie you have to audition for the theater and the voice department and I was like okay I'll audition and they're thinking in their minds oh she's not gonna and then I did and they and I'm like okay so I'm going and they're like oh well baby we can't afford it and I was like um okay well can I apply for a scholarship <laughs> and they're like oh, okay again thinking it's not gonna and then I got a scholarship and they were like, oh, shit, just got to go. You were relentless. You were So you knew that performing was for you, Amy. You were like, this is my jam. So it's always, yeah, I like, I don't remember not um, acting, singing. Like I remember early moments of realizing like the beauty of it, you know, like um, being on stage when I did Annie when I was like 10. I remember this moment in the song, maybe when like after everything bad has happened, like where she had, and um, the second time she sings it, when like she has to leave daddy Warbucks and just going and sitting on this like big, huge staircase in the middle of the stage and like the spotlight, it was a spotlight thing all of a sudden. And it was like dark everywhere and just singing this quiet little song and just being like, Oh my fucking God. And like feeling the, I felt the audience. I remember feeling the audience like as that fourth player in that moment when I was like tiny, I was like 10. Right. Um, and then the other one of that, of that Annie thing was my dad, who was a, he was like a rugby player, construction worker, Irish motherfucker. And he was like, I don't know what the fuck, what what are you doing? What's his acting shit? He came to every rehearsal for Annie and sat in the back. He never said a thing. Like big guy just sitting there, never said a thing. And then one day we were driving home in the big suburban. He goes, Amy, that that scene with that, with the dog, like, Amy, you gotta fucking love that dog. I don't believe it. I don't believe you don't love that fucking dog. You gotta like that dog's gotta be everything. We're going to the backyard and we're gonna practice. And he's we, like the Tony Soprano acting coach dad. He oh. was before every um, performance of Annie. We did a complete rugby warm up in the backyard because that's all he knew. <laughs> that's awesome. 
Uh, and you were better, you were better warmed up than probably every other person in that cast. That's hilarious. Well, what's interesting of just this that story you're telling about your parents and, you know, basically underestimating you. I'm just wondering if that has been any kind of a theme in your you know what it's funny it's um i think there's so many actors who have that experience um and i totally honor that i didn't know my parents were underestimating me and they weren't underestimating me in the like they did they thought i was fantastic but they didn't know this world and they're like oh well amy just sings you know in our little plays here i don't think they understand you know because as i when i after i went to interlock into the high school performing arts and after that they were just like oh okay like this is real and they were insanely supportive so i and that was one of the things when you told me to sort of maybe start brainstorming a little bit about theater school what it meant i think my experience um one of the things i discovered at theater school i don't know if it was because of theater school or not um was that um that being a healthy and supported happy human being was really a great place to be as an actor. I didn't have to be messed up. I didn't have to be fucked up. I didn't have to be like insane to be an incredible actor and to be an actor who can access all that. Like I I realized like, oh, I can be happy and healthy and wear bright colors and curl my hair and still play a fucked up person because like I've had fucked up shit happen to me. I have. I've been heartbroken. I've, you know, one of my best friends mm-hmm. died when I was young. And like, I've had shit happen, but I'm like a really stable human being and that's okay. And um, when did you learn that? Can I just re, re, because we've, we've heard that with like, you don't have to be a mess kind of a situation. Mm-hmm. And I, I Absolutely. didn't learn that until I was about 34. So when, when did this come into <laughs> your consciousness, do you think? I think it started then. Um, it started at theater school, and perhaps it's because I went to a boarding school for performing arts. So I had already gone through the whole transition. I think a lot of people have in college of the first time they're away. So when I got to DePaul, I was like, I like a dorm life, like living by myself, self sufficient, all of that crap. Part of life was like whatever, okay. Um, and I was like ready to work. Like I was like, I'm sitting in this courtyard. I'm reading this play. I don't care what everyone else is fucking doing. Um, and it wasn't a big deal to be in acting class. And like, I, by that time I'd already read Stanislavski and done all that stuff. Um, now of course I have to sidebar say that, you know, I read it again throughout my life because I was like 12. So you don't really get it. <laughs> when right. I first read it. But, um, so I think that I started because of that. Um, and when I was in high school at performing arts, I tried really hard to be dark and twisty. Like I wore like, cause I'm a Midwestern y'all can't see me, but like I was I'm a Midwestern girl. I like to wear colors. Like I, I'm, you know, bubbly and all that. And it, in high school, I tried real hard to be like, I wore like all black. I grew my hair out, no makeup. You know, I would like, I hate cigarettes and I would like, try and smoke in the bathroom vent and go in the woods and you know get high I'm like I hate it all like I hate I think marijuana is a beautiful thing and it helps people but like I hate it I hate pot I'd rather have a martini like just give me a martini and so I think like when I got to the theater school I was ready to be like oh oh but like you know what like I don't like that and I don't like and I had some um discussions with teachers we'll say nicely um because i was like no i'm not i don't know 
You don't, oh, you have, don't have to, to say it nicely. I, I want to hear, I don't, you don't have to name names, but I'm just saying like what, what they, they pushed you and, and, and the caveat is that everyone's doing the best they can with what they have in the sure. moment. So, but, um, I'm interested in the uh, friction that happened. Like you wanted to be you and they wanted you to be dark and twisty. Well, they wanted it to personally be like, I remember a voice class with someone who a teacher that I I had friction with. Um, She, it was all about like, um, I felt like every class was about getting people to cry. And I am all for, and I do believe in the process that there's a, there's a break and there's an emotional when you connect and when you let go. Right. I do not believe letting go connecting um, as an actor means tears. I do not believe that. And I will never believe that. And so I was very pissed off because I, and I was like, it, that's not, and, and that it'd be a piece that wasn't, that wasn't the piece I was doing. Like if I break out into laughter, that should be an applauded moment right? If I release into a soft, vulnerable thing, that is a moment. And it's not just about tears. And I remember one day when I was doing this like piece and laughing and like having a, it was like a really, I was feeling it. And it was just like, Amy, the response was, Amy, you just, you need to like, we just need to find, you know, something else for you. And this is just not, and I'm like, oh my God, I just had a moment in you. Um, And then I remember senior year um there was a project that we did right before we left where um uh you had to fill out this uh this teacher had us fill out this whole questionnaire about like our goals as artists in life which i think was fantastic and i was got really into it because i love getting and i I love doing homework and so the the one of the questions was um what will be the what would be the biggest something about like what would be the biggest artistic creation you could ever imagine yourself doing right great question and i sat with it and i wrote or what was the, what would be the biggest creation biggest thing you could create i think was the way it was worded that's right the biggest thing you could ever imagine yourself creating so i sat with this question and i wrote this long thing about it would be having a child and a family and raising a family and this this and and about what that creation would be and what i saw that to be cuz i've always also known i was a mother and it was very vulnerable for me, like, and I'm very, and I said it, and he literally like, like, he did that, and he was like, that's bullshit, and I got up, and I, like I said, I'm a Midwestern good girl, I got up, and I was like, fuck you, and I left the class, I've never left anything, like, that's so impolite, right, you don't do that, and I was like, fuck you, fuck you, and I, and I think I said something to the fact, like, I'm sorry for your children, and I left, and I was like, like, how the fuck are you going to judge my creation? And this whole point was like, you're going into the world now. What do you want to do? Um, and I was like, I, do, I will always be an actor. But the biggest creation I will ever have is a child. And that to this day, that is my my biggest joy and pride is my my kid. And um, I'll never back down from that. But it was an important moment for me to realize that I because I'm Midwestern good girl, want to get, you know, the gold star, <clears throat> that my voice and my vision is powerful and strong. And that's what being an artist actually is about. That's what being an artist is. And so, and now it took me, you're right. back to uh, Jen, what you said, it took me years to fully live in that. 
it wasn't like all of a sudden it whenever we graduated 18 19 i was like man because obviously i didn't conquer the world at 18 or 19 um but uh that was sort of the beginning of that journey and i think it was also because i had the support of other teachers and professors at depaul that were um, betsy hamilton um and patrice eggleson and particularly women um that i saw their strength and their power and their creative um presence and that was really important to me because I'd had only male teachers up until then, to be honest. So I that was a very important thing. And now not because, you know, Rick Murphy is like magic and taught me so much about playing and letting go and not and, and being messy in my art. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and Avkali was great. I mean, so there it's not that the, I mean, those people were important, too. But I think it, Betsy Hamilton, I had a very beautiful connection to her and uh her also is just as a person and artist not just what she taught me about my physical power which was is so important that's a theme by the way so many people have said the only type of uh, support they got was from a female teacher (laughs) but i i'm really glad that you started by talking about technique um that you had already read stanislavski because I was one of the questions I had prepared to ask you is how much of the technique that you learned both in your uh, in Interlochen and the theater school do you find yourself bringing with you? I mean, I just watched Mank. Congratulations. Thank <laughs> you. Cool. And wondering if you think too much about technique these days. Um, I love the way you just phrased that. I do not think about technique, but technique is everything. I believe that technique and skill needs to be the grounding of an actor so that we can fully play. I think technique is like, I see acting as this playground and the technique and the skill is essential because it's the slide and it's the turny thing and it's the swing. And then I can jump in that parameter those rules. And then I can do whatever the fuck I want in there. I can swing the whole time. I can run around. I can just sit in the sand and play with it. I can do whatever I want because all of that is there. And then I can play any which way I want. So I do not think about technique anymore and skill in my work, but it is all there. So it's, I believe it's essential. And I'm, I'm an advocate because I also have coached acting my whole career because I, it, it, it excites me to work with other actors um, and that's that's one of my biggest things is like you must. I believe it's because acting is a craft. It is an art and and it I respect it so much. And I it's not something that anybody can do. There's sort of this idea in the lay world like, oh, you're funny. You should just be an actor. And it may be true, but it's it's it takes work and skill. And and I'm so curious and fascinated by all that. I think De, or DePaul, the theater school. The reason I chose it, because I got into like seven theater conservatories. I was, I chose DePaul first because um, I fell in love with Chicago. And second, because it was one of the only schools where I saw that I was going to get to learn numerous methods and techniques. Um, Like NYU and Tisch was so where I wanted to be. And New York was where I wanted to be. But I was like, I don't, you have to choose a, school she was a studio and I was like I don't want to what if I don't like method and then I'm stuck for four years there what if I don't like such and such or what if that doesn't or what if I get bored of it um because I you know I think every actor should learn as much as possible and then have your own technique 
right? Like it's the Amy technique. It's the Jen technique. It's the Gina technique. Like you, I, I use all this other stuff, but like, that's what we do as actors, right? We create from our experience and our imagination, this human being and this story. So I loved that about, I love that about school. I loved learning different about theater school. I loved different styles and approaches and, um, and finding what spoke to me. And then the things that didn't spoke speak to me in that time, I have pulled out of my bag when a particular role comes up that's not working or is tough or I can't. I'm like, well, maybe I'll look back at such and such and try and do this, you know? Wow. So I, I firmly believe in skill and technique. And I I, I loved uh, absorbing all that. At it's now. interesting because you work all the time. So it it's working. Like whatever you're doing is working, which is fantastic <laughs> because – you. You, you can talk a lot about people can talk a lot about technique and skill and stuff, but the proof is in the you book work. So whatever you're doing is working. So I also this overarching thing for me for with you is like you are a professional. Like man, I know that like from a from a young age that that feeling of sitting on the stage. I have that same image of you in Cinderella playing Cinderella Mm -hmm. of really listening to what was going on on the stage and having Mm -hmm. a moment and being in the moment. That's what I can say about you. I remember from being on crew, I really was sitting by that tree crying and your tears watered the tree. I I mean, it's weird that I remember that, but I do. And I don't remember shit from that time. So (laughs) Oh my God, that touches me so much that mm-hmm. that that you remember that. Um, thank you. I think that's uh, listening, knowing that, like, saying that I was listening is. I mean, that's the biggest part of what we do. You know, it's especially like when I work with younger actors. I'm like, okay, I don't care about your fucking lines. What is that other person saying? How? What's happening with them? What's going? What are you? Tell me about this other person. I think it's. Uh, so thank you so much. Jen for saying that that's like a huge compliment um to me it means so much to me um and you know I do it is a profession it's an art and a profession and like I said before like I take it seriously I respect it and so um the job I do is a job I I love you know I mean like I'm so blessed and sometimes the job is a job sometimes it's especially you know going on set tv and film to me are fascinating and curious uh, uh, theater is like my heart and love. Um, but like, you know, sometimes you go on set and you just do your job and it's fun and you focus and you know what you're doing and you're done, you know, yeah. and then you get a paycheck that enables you to do a play at Pasadena Playhouse or, you know, a thing. And that's great. Um, so that relate the the thing that that uh, you had said earlier about maybe maybe there was a tacit requests that you be angsty and emo and dark and whatever, and that you weren't, that relates to my uh, lasting memory of you, which is crewing for into the woods. And uh, without naming names, I'll say you, you, you shared the dressing room with a couple of people and, um, (laughs) and, and those people had, they required a lot of attention. They, they, they were people who really like sucked up, a lot of the energy Mm. in the room and you were the only person who ever asked me about me and like, what was I into and what was I doing and how was I doing? And at the same time, stay completely focused on and committed to what you were about to do. Or even, I think you might've even also had a bunch of quick changes. Yeah, I did. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
from yeah. rags to riches. Just, <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. So I, that's what I remember is your your focus. It was not like you were distracted from what you were doing, but you always took the time to acknowledge the other people oh, in the room. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Wow. You guys are going to make me cry all this morning. Um <laughs> Oh, well, that's what we're trying to do. This we're trying to do that. It's the like Barbara, the theater the Barbara school. Waltus, the Barbara Wawa of the theater school. Um, I forgot all about the crying at theater. I yep. forgot all about that. Did it only happen in voice and speech? No, I mean, it happened in a lot of classes. No. But this particular teacher, she like, well, and I, I didn't agree with a lot of stuff with her, now, especially looking back. I'm like, what the, what the F? But um, uh, that was just a particular moment. But, you know, I think it is. And I think it's a fallacy in um, throughout acting and the art form that like a tear means something like if I get a script for an audition and it says and she cries I cross that thing out and I'm like what happens here is there's an emotional transition that's what the writer is telling me I think about the writer and I respect writers you two are writers I respect you guys so much because people are always like create your own stuff right I mean I'm like I write for shit I do I have great ideas but I write it down and I read it later and I'm like this sucks this is the sappiest most sentimental crap and um so and i respect actors i'm like why am i going to try and do something that these people are crafting and creating and i like i'm going to honor them and like find great writers that i can work with and create something but back to i so i think like i see that as like the writer is telling and you know especially tv and film that script is written for the the money people, the executives and the producers and stuff to read and understand what's happening. That's how I interpret it. So I'm like, some of that stuff, like she cries is for them to go, Oh, I get it. It's an emotional moment because they're not acting. They're not artists necessarily in those positions. So I say, I say, okay, that's a emotional transition has to happen here. Now, if tears come, tears come. Um, but that's not what's happening here. This is an emotional transition that can be numerous different ways. And each take should be different, right? Like how, first of all, it's impossible to repeat ever. That's it's, it it is physically, scientifically impossible. So why try? And second, like, that's just boring. Like I want it to continue to play. So I think that that's how I see it. It needs to, I need to honor the emotional transition that's supposed to happen here. Man, I want you to coach me for everything. I'm like, (laughs) Thinking back on, on just the, I will, but just even that little thing you just said about it's, it's informing my writing too. Mm. I'm like, wait a second, Gina, this, she just blew my mind, my mind. Dude, I, I, me too. I'm so embarrassed to admit it literally never occurred to me until this moment that stage directions were not just <laughs> film and TV. I mean, it's like, oh, you're. That it, that that it's for the that's for the execs and stuff too to be or wh- whoever I mean it doesn't have to be executives but whoever else it, it wouldn't necessarily occur to mm. them where the emotion was going oh, that that they would need to spell it out because I'm such a rule follower if it says right. she cries I'm well like, then okay, as an actor your whole there. focus God is on something that has nothing to do with what's ha- with the scene right with the story you're telling it has nothing and nine times out of ten you probably will cry if you are just telling it's the story. And that and that tenth time that you don't cry, that may be the take that's the fucking winner wow. that makes everybody. You know what I mean? Like, who knows? Um, ha- and now adult. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I was going to say I did have. I have. I have been told though. Like when I did American Sniper, they literally I auditioned for a different role, and the cast director called me one day and was like, "Hey, um, can you cry on cue?" And I was like, 
uh, sure. Because, I mean, I don't know. I, that's not the way my process. But I was like, yes. <laughs> if that means you want me to put me in a Clint Eastwood film, yes, I can. <laughs> um, and they're like, okay, tomorrow on set. And um, so, but, like, I cried the whole day. I did. But I wasn't, like, because of the, the scene that was happening. Right. Ended up bringing me there, you know? And um, so I think that's just the, yes, if I need. And, you know, the other thing, uh, peek behind the curtain. When you get to set, if it's a scene that really requires tears, the makeup person gives you a menthol stick. They don't ask. They don't say, do you need this? You don't have to ask for it. They will almost always just give it to you. So that if by you know, the hundredth take, like when I was working with them on Mank to go back to that, Fincher does literally hundreds of takes for a scene, hundreds. And I don't, I, I shit you not. Watching Gary Oldman do oh that was incredible. But, um, but like they, they will get, you will have it there so that if by the hundredth take, for some reason, literally you're dehydrated, you can emotionally be there and you put a little of that menthol on your finger and just like, boom, if it needs to, to be there or some people need it and that's fine. So that's, I'm like, I don't, I'm not going to stress about it. I, I'm very curious about this. I mean, I, I think David Fincher is a genius, uh, but mm-hmm. I, just between us, <laughs> do you really think that hundreds of takes is the way to go? I think it is for him. Okay. I think it is for him. Uh, watching him work was uh, really astonishing. I, I He knows exactly what he wants. He sees it all. And, um, and he, he um, deletes as takes as he goes. Oh, I was going to say post must be yeah. a nightmare. No, okay. he deletes. So he's, but he's that confident. Like there are very few directors who will do that. Cause you're like, Oh shit, I might need it. And, um, he it's the detail it's the detail like he literally you'll get a note and again like i had a tiny ass role in it and um and most of it got cut which is fine um because the story needed that whatever uh but uh like so i'm not that consequential yet i would get a note from david to like hold your cigarette two inches forward please like it's got to be this exact look right and then the same scene a little later i get an acting note like look at your daughter and you're really disappointed in her right now right like let's let's get that like feel that do that so it's like the whole gamut um and he's funny i i didn't expect the funny side to he's he's funny on the set and which could also be gary gary Ullman and him had such a great relationship so gary was such a leader in creating that essence that especially with these long days i mean literally there's a scene that we did for a week and it's gary doing them i don't know if you saw did you say you saw yeah the the thing where he does the whole monologue around the table the big moment in the big party scene that's like that whole we did that like a week and he did it every time and he did it when it wasn't on him when the camera was not on him like just an avid watching him and charles dance also is my new just actor crush he's you know i mean he's 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 a little old for me but i would i would make an exception um totally make an exception give him a pat like same thing with him like he every every take you know and these aren't young whippersnappers either that's like physically difficult professionals man this is not a joke this is not for the faint of heart um did you 
Did you, I have a question about, because I'm obsessed with the whole showcase experience. Um, mostly yes. because oh my it, God, let's it, talk about well, that. it varies wildly for people. Oh. How was your, okay. Fuck me. How was it? Fuck me. Okay. I, okay. A couple of things. First of all, I totally want to talk about that. And then there was one, you did, there's one story I do want to tell before sure. we finish today. I just want to tell you that it's one of my favorite moments from the theater school, but um, don't let me forget. Okay. okay. I think the showcase, now I have gone to see the showcase in the past six years or so because i've um like been asked to be on the little the panel thingy where we go and t- talk to the the people coming out um and um so i'm like oh i should go see them um so i think they have made some really great adjustments now when i was there i think it was a like very few people did something in that showcase that showed off to the industry who they are as an actor and what they can do it's you know when you're in school it's so important to play like you know like i said i play the grandma or i got to do a august wilson piece like i'll, I'll never be able to perform that because that's not written for me but i got to do it because it's great work right so I, I got to play all this stuff and get into roles that i but then the reality is is i'm 20 years old i am mm-hmm. like a midwestern bubbly curvy girl so my piece should be and what I wear, like, I remember the discussions with Jane Alderman about fucking what I was going to wear. And what I ended up wearing was ridiculous. It was like this pink baby doll dress with like my boobs were like boobs. And like, I'm like, why, why did I wear a pink baby doll dress? I never wore baby doll dresses as a person. I would never wear that to an audition. Um, Like it was all you could, like, it was just boobs and hot pink. Like, I'm like, what the fuck? And I did a piece from Angels in America. Like, why? You know, so anyway, um, wait, which piece? The one where she wakes up in the snow. So it's really that it's very esoteric, that one. Like, it's like, oh, snow, fall, this, that, like artsy fartsy, which is beautiful to work on. But like, that doesn't tell an agent or ABC, um, you know, uppity up what I that they should cast me in the stupid, like the, the dingy college best friend. Like, that's what. And I remember I brought in a monologue that was a comedy which is where I really discovered is I love doing drama, but comedy is my hook. Like I, I have realized like I get comedy. It's something I get easily. That's why it's my hook. It's not, I mean, drama I love, but like that. So, but no one ever pinpointed that to me. I should have done a comedy. It was this monologue that was funny and quirky and like sort of giddy. And like, that's, that's where I was to be cast. I think if I look back now. Were you going back and forth with Jane about your monologue and what you were wearing or yeah. just what you were wearing? Oh, oh. So like what, what was the angle, do, do you think? I wanted to do the, the monologue. The, it was this girl talking about how she's still a virgin. And it's really funny little. And it's this whole buildup that you don't know is happening. And she's what we just talked about. She's literally on the verge of tears about it. But it's a comedy, right? So it's one of those things that encompass like vulnerability. And I, it's a monologue I used for 10 years after I graduated and got so many so many shows from right um it's i don't know why she didn't like it she didn't think it was right um and so i went i literally went through like seven or eight monologues to show her and then and then we decided on this angels in america monologue that was beautiful i never used it again um because it was so like i said like i literally started out laying down on the floor and like came up and like looked at the it was a beautiful like acting moment but not like that's the thing about the theater school. I think I needed more time. And I think 
many of, I think the final year should be about how do you take all these wonderful things you've discovered and how do we get work? Because don't be afraid. It's not a bad word, getting work, booking, getting a job. This isn't like there was such a weird connotation on it. Like it's the art. I'm like, yeah, but I want people to see this art. I want to communicate. I want to commune. I want an audience. So I have to know how do I do that? How do I take all this great stuff? And what's the way to to get people to see this great stories I want to tell? And that wasn't that wasn't there. And I've talked with the school actually the last couple of years about doing something. And I, I, I just think it's so vital. Um, and like the only person that ever did really, that was a little bit with Bill, Bill Brown taught a class, but the class wasn't supposed to be on that with Bill Brown. It was supposed to be like a straight up acting class. Um, but that's what Boz did. She, she taught a remote class and she, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I'm awesome. doing it again this year. Oh, they good. just asked me, it's the business of the business class. Yes, and, good. um, and, 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 and it's a new thing, but, but I, I hear you and I think how much, how different the experience could have been mm-hmm. for us. And look again, the caveat, we did what we did when we did it, yeah. everyone was doing their best, but so many people could have maybe booked jobs and paid rent if they had had a different showcase experience, mm-hmm. maybe not, but maybe, and, and I it's just incredible. And when you're that young, those things are huge and they are huge. And, and, oh man, I'm just looking back. I'm just remembering. You, you, Amy, you really just helped me understand to to put words to something that I I've had in the back of my mind, but haven't been able to sort of like formalize the, one of the main problems with the theater school, at least for me, when we went there is basically a denial of the whole thing that we went there for (laughs) like a denial of the commercial aspect i mean who spends that much money to not make a living at it afterwards and and to me i feel like it must represent what was happening just culturally in an industry at that time which is really pulling all the way away from theater and 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 a lot of what made you know acting for for theater you know work the theater school couldn't decide what i think that they couldn't decide what to do about that schism so they pretended like it didn't exist and and then spent so then you spent your three years doing stanislavski and angels in america and joe slowick and really like getting just the old time theater experience the goodman school of drama experience and then Oops, last year let's let's you know kind of try to shoehorn in a few classes that'll maybe help you get a job. I mean, it, it, if you if you didn't know what was happening and you just let it all happen to you, you were really well, ill. And even if you were forgetting, I agree job. with you. I think that's so true, Gina. And I like even if you were a focused like you know the 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 lovely compliment you gave me about being a professional and that I've been doing it since I was young. Um, I I it did take me. I think about eight years to really find of being doing it on my own, find what that was because I didn't like, I just wasn't prepared for that. I wasn't, I knew how to audition, but I was not, I mean the industry and that's why I think it is good. They have made a change. I know they have more working um, 
working professionals that teach now, I think that's a vital thing in any um, conservatory setting is to make sure you have a combination of um, old school, wonderful professors of the art, that that's their whole livelihood, because there's a beauty in that as well. Um, but to make sure there's also working professionals that come in to know what's happening right now, because it is an ever-changing thing. And it's important for us to know, again, like, even for theater, even if, I, like, because I did mostly theater when I graduated, even for that to know, because it does, it applies to theater as well. Like, what, how do I edit for theater? How do I know what, you know, what, um business side of it and again like down to like what monologue i should do for a general and all these things talking about that kind of stuff because the showcase yes maybe you get an agent maybe you don't whatever that's all untouchable like that's so you know out of our control but my my thought was like well this is a showcase to get us started but also for me to practice like because that's what you do you go to a theater general you know you go to the general at the goodman you go to milwaukee rep and you do a general you do as a theater actor, right? So what am I going to do? How am I going to go to this theater and say, this is my snapshot for you. Look at your season and, oh, she should go here. She could go here. Um, you know, and then of course you can do more than that, but that's the point of it. And so I, I think that the idea of the industry side as being part of the art, it's not separate. That's what I finally realized, right. I think like eight years after right. graduating was like, oh, it's not separate. It's not a. It's not the bad guy. The industry's not the bad guy. The industry, the business, allows me to share this. And if we're talking about film and television, wow! Like, look how many people now I can share it with. Like, why would I not want to share it with thousands instead of hundreds? Like, they're both beautiful. I, I, like I said, I never poo poo theater. It's the most beautiful art form I know. But TV and film, TV especially, oh my god thousands upon thousands upon and then like i mean i still get residuals from criminal minds that i did 12 13 years ago because it's still fucking playing and people are still seeing it it's crazy like, that's, that's neat cool. that's really neat right i'm thinking i'm mindful of the time and i know you wanted to share oh, yes. your favorite moment from the theater school okay so my favorite moment from the theater school is it was bill brown's class and it was one of the most artistic experience i had at school and all of us did we got to do a our like final like scene you know we're fourth year and bill i don't know if you guys had bill brown but yeah he was i had him bill. bill oh my god yes yeah. like just you know he, it's as if he always had a martini and a cigarette absolutely and, <laughs> and so we got to choose anything we wanted and um so a group of us we did the big scene from superman 2 <gasps> and we did it in the courtyard and it was superman was played by tim donovan Lois Lane was played by Kelly Burney. General Zod was played by the Leonard Roberts, who I like. Um, uh, Nun, the the big, huge Zod guy, was played by Stephen Davis. And I played Ursa. So that's Zod's, like, lady sidekick, right? So we did that scene. We rehearsed that shit. And this was back in the day where we didn't have any internet, any of this stuff. So Tim Donovan, I believe, was the one that sat and transcribed the whole scene from Rewinding it on a vh tape we rehearsed the shit out of that thing it was so good you guys we did it in the courtyard and so we had it just for our class and literally the courtyard you know there's all those windows well it's not existing now but they're all the literally after a, like a minute into it people were like hanging out of the windows like just students everywhere and watching it and like it was so it was and y'all it we took it so seriously and it was so good and if you talk to any of those people they'll be like oh yeah that was the best thing we ever <gasps> Oh, I um, love that. That's yeah, so cool. That is so 
And that's what I'm talking And that circles back to what we were just talking about with like, so this is Superman too, right? Like you'd think whatever, poo-poo. But like, it was so good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and it was so exciting. And it drew people in. It's a, it's a story. They're all stories. Whether you're doing, you know, um, you know, you're doing this mom, CBS multicam sitcom, yucka, 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 Nickelodeon, whatever. That's a story. As much as Fincher's, you know, deep, provocative, or, you know, like, I can't wait today to watch um, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom that they're doing, you know, the Netflix one, or any, they're the watching these incredible, um, you know, so, so whether I'm broken down in tears watching a story, or thinking about my life, or angry, or just laughing out loud silly, like, it's all a fucking story, and that's the whole point, isn't it? Like, who the hell cares? I don't, yeah, yeah so... It's all story. Yeah. I love it. That's a great argument for, I mean, also what it comes across to me about that story you just told is when, whenever anybody, and this is not specific to acting, whenever anybody has agency over what they're doing, it always has a better outcome. And, and, and that's another thing. And it, it, it is something that is not always that available to actors to do the thing that they want to do. So, you know, acknowledging that, you know, it's 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 not as if doing what you want to do is always the thing that's going to get you the job, but it it's important to find if you are a, a job doing a job that is not the thing that you want to do. It's important to try to find the part of yeah. it that you know does speak to you and really bring that through because when you f- you're unstoppable when you feel really like in control or feel agency around the thing that you're doing. It broadcasts mm-hmm. your message so yep. and much more directly. Go ahead. No, go ahead, no I was just going to say that's undeniable. Like you, when when you when you walk in a room and you may not be perfect or the prettiest or the, the but if you, well, Gina, you just said it. When you have agency over what you are projecting in some form, you're undeniable. And and yeah. you may not get cast, but you'll still be undeniable, and they'll remember you. You will book the room. Yeah, and you know, it's it's that whole thing. That, yes, you should always be creating your own stuff that you believe in and it you don't have to do one thing you can be doing like you guys are doing which i applaud you guys so much your your writing that you're doing together and and all of that side of it and creating this podcast and um while at the same time if you get called to do something else i'm sure you'd be like yes if, if someone called you know and was like can you write this piece for us you're like yes we'll be commissioned to do that. It's, it it's it's all possible but you know we're all and it all leads one thing to another. Like you look at these great and and our while there's so much uh, in our industry right now that is still so um, uh, bigoted and sexist and 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 gender um, and all all of this stuff has so many doors that still need to be open. And it's one of my other it's it's a big um, mission of mine. But at the same time, we are starting to open those doors and see that what you just said, Jen, like it's audiences want people who aren't the Hollywood perfect old story anymore. We want to see Issa Rae tell a story. We want to see, you know, um, I may destroy you. We want to see, um, you know, these, these real stories and real people. And um, it doesn't always have to be the picture perfect, pretty little white blonde chick with boobs. Like not that there's anything wrong with that. That's lovely too. But um, So, yeah, I mean, you have to keep and it's it's a hard it's a hard struggle and it's not always easy and and you're not always going to get what you want. And we all I mean, is there more that I want to do? Are there roles I wish I could have done? Of course. But 
if you're doing this to tell stories and you just got to keep storytelling. Right. So Amy, something we haven't talked about yet up to this point is the fact that you met your husband while you were at the theater school, Leonard, who people will know from drumline and heroes and like a fantastic actor, by the way. And I remember him as always being so, um, being in such great possession of himself that it really appeared to me from afar that this is a person who really knows who he is. And that's a mark of maturity that a lot of people who are at the theater school at such a young age don't have. So that's, you can share that with him. Agreed. Agreed. And kind. And he was very kind to me. He, I think he may have lived at my dorm or was the R, I don't remember. He was an R, I don't remember what he was, but I just remember being like, oh, this, this is not just a cool guy. He's a kind Aww. guy. So you can tell him that. I too. like him. Mm-hmm. I like him a little bit. I think he's kind of cool. <laughs> I kind Good. Of think he's cool too. No, he's incredible. I, uh, it's interesting. I think one of the things we connected on uh, at the theater school as we began to connect um, was that we both were in a place of um, groundedness, you know, and the way that's, we saw that in each other. Um, and so that's interesting. You said that, I think that's something that we were, we've always relied on each other as um, in our real Shows life. Together. What's that? I forget, I forget if you did shows together. We did a couple, we did into the woods um, and then we did Trojan women um together and then um although we never had scenes together (laughs) so it's kind of funny and then we did do (laughs) one of our intros we did but again we didn't have so we we didn't really get to do and throughout our career it's funny we haven't um like we both did american sniper but we're in totally different parts of the film um and uh but yeah we love to play so we've definitely created stuff on our own and um uh, you know, different, different, uh, workshops and creative pieces that we do together. Um, and uh, now, it's always fascinating. Yeah. And now you started a company together, okay. which is called variant artists and you've got yes. a lot of interesting stuff going on. So can you tell us about it? Sure. Yeah, no, it's very exciting. Leonard and I actually um, began the the production company long ago out of the desire to, um, push against the norm in the industry. Um, Leonard being a, um, since this is all audio, Leonard is a black man and I am a woman. Um, and so the idea, we loved everything that we do with such passion. And yet we were, when we got into the industry part of it, realizing there was a lot of closed doors, um, and, um, that fighting that was, a a, a, a sort of a, sometimes it felt like a lost cause. And so, although we still continue to fight it, um, but, uh, or push against it, I should say. Um, so we decided to start, we're like, well, then let's do our own stuff. Let's create a collective of people that we enjoy, people we like to play with, uh, different voices from different parts of our world, of course, that is just so essential. Um, so then, but the, the last year, we've definitely hunkered down and created some more substantial stuff that we're excited. There's a piece coming out. Um, it's a podcast, speaking on your podcast, uh, called uh, Theater alive which um will um be about it's about uh uplifting and celebrating different voices so and 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 creating a space of centrality for bipoc lgbtq plus and women um playwrights in particular and then the actors who will play the role so we'll be doing an audio reading of plays 
Um, and then the final awesome. podcast of the month will be um, will be a roundtable called A Seat at the Table where we'll celebrate and dive into this incredible artist, kind of like sitting at the, the the bar after a theater, you know, play where you go and have your, your drink cool. or your fries or whatever and sort of talk about stuff. So we're excited. And our first playwright that we're doing is also a theater alum, Nambi Kelly. So we're super excited. And then Kevin Douglas Yay. is also an alum. We're going to do his play too. So awesome. yeah, lots of connection there, bringing the people. Again, like it's our our whole vision, and this is why I love being an actor, is is to create this community, like this collective, that commune of, of it all. And, and then be able to, when something comes up, just pick, boop, 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 who do we want to play with right now? And so it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. That's so cool. Congratulations. That's an amazing thing. Yeah. And when are you looking to launch? Uh, January. You know? So January. So our, we will, we'll, we'll launch, uh, um, so we'll do a Facebook live of the play on January 7th. And then the podcast starts the following week on the 14th. That'll be the, you can listen to the play in like a couple sections. And then um, the 28th will be the, the uh, round table. So yeah. Should be fun. That's so cool. Congratulations. I can't wait. Yeah. It's exciting to check it out. And you have a website, I'm guessing. Um, well, you can catch, you can, you can get us on um, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, if you look at variant artists. You'll find all that. Um, and uh, that's the easiest way sort of the, okay. to catch us. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, cool. Amy, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. And everybody check out Variant Artists and Amy Farrell on Make. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, you guys. It's been so lovely talking to you guys. And catching up. I love it. I Survive Theater School is an Undeniable Inc. production. Jen Bosworth-Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. Follow us on Instagram at UndeniableWriters or on Twitter at UndeniableWRIT1. That's UndeniableWrite without the E1. Thanks! <laughs>